0: SPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present the Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of the Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up.
1: Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey,
0: how
1: we doing?
2: He's Blank, I'm Brad, I'm Brian McDonald, behind the glass. It is a Wednesday edition of the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Joe couldn't bother to show up to work again. Entire week, Joe's going to be out. Can't believe it. Uh, I'm flying all over the country. I show up to work. What's Joe doing? Wrong answers only. 713-780-3776. I had a good night last night. Houston winning their first Big 12 road game. Great environment at the Marriott Center in Provo. Their student section is something else, by the way. It's fantastic. Can I just ask you a question? Great How do they
1: get away with the used car lot, big blow-up? Uh, no, the little... What do you call those things? They're like Gumby. They're like, like Weird skinny. Weird blow-ups? Yeah, Gumby, anorexic gumbies that get to wave all over the place and like... How did they get away with
2: that behind the basket? Uh, I don't know. It's awesome, though. (laughs) Like, they're shooting freak throws into their student section. And Houston did a pretty good job of it. There's 12 of 16 in the second half, uh, 75%. But, yeah. That was an incredible crowd, but a great win for the fourth ranked team in the country. First Big 12 win. The the, the previous two road games, first Big 12 road win. Uh, the first two road games at Ames, close game. Could have, it was tie game led under a minute to play. TCU game they led with under a minute to play. Uh, but good to get over. Uh, good to get that win. Uh, Houston, that defense really really good. I'm BYU the way they play. The way they play is a lot of fun too. You know they they get up and down the floor in a hurry. They shoot a lot of threes. They score a lot of points. That was that was only the second time all year that they have not surpassed 70 points at home inside wow. the Mary. Yeah, they're, I mean, their mean, offense is high octane. The
1: defense travels. I know that you guys had an off shooting night. Was it two games ago? But you, you were up tw- You were up 28-14 at the half and held them to under 20% shooting. Like, when you can suffocate on defense like that, you can play anywhere at any time against anybody, and that's that's the greatness of Kelvin Sampson always. But then I also mentioned to you, like, when we went off the air last night and BMAC and I got done, we went to national, and that Ian Fitzpatrick clown on the the national show was all over BYU to beat the Cougs and take the Cougs, <laughs> to, the right Cougs, and take the points. Hey, Ian Fitzpatrick, how'd that taste? Yeah, he's going to have that. to.
2: Ian, Fitz, Ian Fitzpatrick's going to have to make the list, I guess. Yes. But it was. I put uh, him on there. It was, it, was, it was fun. But Ian Fitzpatrick will, will make the list. Uh, the Houston Texans offseason's about to get started. Um, Brian pointed out some interesting things. Um, did D'Amico D- D- Ryan's, and I think that even Nick Casario, because I went and listened to some Nick Casario with uh, John Harris and Mark Vandermeer rock and roll. Yep. Uh, they were doing like an end-of-season show. Casario does a weekly bit uh, on their on their – you know, YouTube channel each and every week. And I like to listen to it. I actually like listening to Casario talk. Like, he he gives you a lot of nothing burgers when you ask him things of, of like, specific things. But if you ask him, like, general general manager questions about, like, hey, how do you balance the the, the salary cap? Uh, what do you look for in certain things? Like, he'll give you some really well-thought-out answers. Now, he's not going to give you any specifics. But he talks about here's our plan. This is what we do whenever we're evaluating our own free agents, uh, free agents that we might look at. And he basically says we need to get return on investment, you know. And this is this is a phrase that we like to discuss as well. If you're going to spend ten million dollars, you want to get thirteen million dollars of production, especially in a salary cap league. If if everybody's going to be at the salary cap figure. How do you win? Will you get the highest return on the dollar that you spend? And he'll say that sort of thing. But Castoria was talking about a very specific thing that D'Amico Ryan's was talking about right after the season. This was post game. This was the Monday press conference. Here was D'Amico talking about a very specific thing with how they need to improve.
3: The running game will be significant for us to improve upon. I think what you see as you go throughout game especially in the postseason right teams that win games you got to be able to run the football right and sustain it. and we weren't able to accomplish that versus the ravens and it showed up so we have definitely areas to improve uh many different areas but run game is one of those areas for sure
2: okay like that that seems pretty obvious <laughs> like he's saying they need to improve in the run game
1: like i i take him for his word so and you and i were kind of knee-deep in a little of this yesterday. But that could go a couple of different ways, right? That could be running back proper, or that could be strengthening the offensive line.
2: I think that's the I, – I honestly, I think that's where the conversation is at because, yes, you need to improve the running game. Here's another one with D'Amico Ryans, uh, kind of the very same tenor in his voice talking about the run
3: game. The front, again, is everything for me, and we'll have to invest a ton of resources into the front. Right? If you want to play good defense, right, your front. Has to be elite, and that's why I envision us playing elite defensive football. And we we have to get better there. And to get better, you have to invest the resources there up front. So that's what we'll do. That's where we're our focus is heading into the off season is to make sure our front. I it gives us an opportunity to win some games.
2: Okay. That, that's pretty obvious. Like, that's, he's telling you what they're going to do. Brian pointing out, too, like, go back to last year before the draft, whenever we were trying to get, and we didn't have any information on D'Amico yet. Like, he was a coordinator, certainly, he was a player here, but you don't know how he handles press conferences. Whenever he speaks, do those things become true? Like, Dana Brown speaks a lot. A lot of those things don't come true. Last year, when D'Amico was asked about drafting a quarterback, we have a really good to a couple of good quarterback prospects at the top of the draft. And we want to add a young quarterback to our team. We think that'll be the right thing to do for our team. We feel like we ought, we have a good nucleus of players. I still want to add some competition to the quarterback position. And this year, there's two good guys at the top that we've looked at and that we value pretty highly. So we're excited about this draft to be at the number two spot. D'Amico last year told he, you they were drafting a quarterback.
4: Yeah, it seems fairly obvious that they like two quarterbacks, and um, we would all assume that's Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. I would Obviously, assume it, that. it worked out in their favor uh, for for who got to them at two. But he told you I. Right away i believe that was on Told april you. 4th from dj, uh, DJ b enemy that they're taking a quarterback at two
2: they're taking a quarterback at two and those two sound bites we just heard from D'Amico ryan we have to get better at stopping the foot and like i know that a lot was made this year of the texans improving in the in the defensive run game mm-hmm. which they did i mean look at the numbers the numbers would support that but there are also a few games where they got gashed go look at their two games against indy they got gashed in both of those games go look at the finale against baltimore they got Gosh, now Lamar Jackson ran for 100 of those yards and you can talk about game plan things like that but D'Amico has flat out said we have to get better on both sides of the ball at either running the ball better or stopping the run better on the defensive side like the defensive line coach Wackez Cesario however you say his name uh, they're moving on from him now they're promoting their assistant defensive line coach so i don't know if they were just unhappy with the Waki's Cesario or if they really like their assistant offensive line coach and they want to keep him around it could go both ways i'd be guessing if if you know i was trying to make this you know uh, Understanding of what they're trying to do with their defensive line coach. They could either not like the one that they currently had or they could really like their assistant D line coach. It's one of those two things. You also know that you have, like, if you don't like the way that you're stopping the run. It probably needs
1: different personnel. Well, that's, like, that's, that's the first thing that hit one. me. I'm thinking, well, as much as I like Sheldon Rankins or Malik Collins, it sounds to me like he really loved, and obviously you would love if you're a defensive coordinator, the front line that he had in San Francisco. And, yeah, I mean, Stubblefield and 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 Bosa and, and those type players aren't walking through that door. Unless you're playing, even if you're paying exorbitant amounts of money, I don't think those type of players are out there. But he obviously is looking to upgrade from the two guys that he had in the middle of the line last year.
2: I think it's obvious. Like, if he's telling you we have to get better at the run game, that that's, like, the key priority of the offseason. Nick Casario said the same thing with John Harris and Mark Vandermeer when I was listening to it on the way here today. So you've had the general manager, the head coach, that they have to get better against the run. You're not changing the play caller defensively. That's D'Amico Ryan, so that's something that's fixed. That's a fixed Cost of doing business. The only thing that you can change is personnel. Now, it could be front seven. It doesn't have to be I just think, the defensive line. It could be linebacker play because linebacker be, play was but, poor I mean, and he played a lot of nickel in the second half of the year.
4: Think of where D'Amico is coming from. And we've heard this from other great linebackers that play in the league. I, I remember quotes from Ray Lewis about this, talking about some of the great defense alignment he had in front of them and how he, when he had those great defense def, defense alignment in front of him, keeping them clean, letting him run through the gaps and make plays without having the offensive linemen getting up to the second level and getting hands on them, it just made the whole game easier. And so that's exactly where D'Amico's mindset as a former middle linebacker is coming from. He's thinking about the great defense alignment that he had in front of him at different places and how if he unlocks that, then it doesn't necessarily matter that he has the greatest linebackers in the world because those defensive linemen can not only make the linebackers job easier, but they can also make the corner's well, job I, easier if they're getting pass rush. I think
1: they're trying to upgrade the linebacker too, but I think that, yeah, again, he could be spoiled by the fact that like, especially from his last stop, like that that whole front four was all world. I mean, that's that's rare as all rare rarities in terms of defensive alignment. But to to the Ray Lewis point, you're right. When you had it's Tony Siragusa, and you had Nada, or you had guys like that that could block up the the, the the initial line of contact, linebackers could do a lot more. But you've got to have a linebacker like that, too, and I don't know that they have that yet.
2: No, I don't. I, Harris, I, to me, is developing into that, but he's the only one. Right. Like even, even Cashman, as as good as he was this year, it is like as close as he was playing to his ceiling, maybe even exceeding that ceiling. Is he somebody that you would call a good linebacker relative to the rest of the NFL played that way this year. Is that something that he can sustain for a long period of time? I don't know. And then they don't have a third guy. Like that's the reason they played nickel. Like that's a the reason they went away from their base four three and played 95% nickel. Like after they were, they acquired Desmond King. So we, we, you're not changing play calls, Obviously it's D'Amico Ryan's. Um, it could be linebacker play, but I, I agree with Brian that he's speaking D-line. about the defensive yeah. line. It's not the edge. It's not the edge. No. It's not Will Anderson. They obviously love Will Anderson. I, I don't think
4: it's John Grenard. Like, they. That is an interesting part to this, though. If he's talking about in that sound clip we heard that we're going to invest heavily in the front, yep. investing heavily includes Jonathan Grenard coming, or paying him in free agency. But if he's unhappy with the line, Maybe does he so. include him Maybe in that conversation?
2: So. so I think you can include Gernard a bit in this conversation, but I think that he's specifically talking about the defensive tackles. I think he's talking about the interior of the defensive line, and it's interesting because whenever you hear, like, the the conversation with who you should bring back, everybody, oh, Sheldon Rankin's great year, bring him back, was a key figure of, of helping this uh, run defense turn the tide. Malik Collins actually under contract uh, for next year, but hey, Malik Collins this great weapon, and then you have the head coach, kind of, well, they, they moved on from the defensive line coach, he's flat out, and the general manager, flat out saying that they have to improve the rush defense, I don't think that the Texans coaching staff in front office is as high on the defensive tackles as the general, the general population. It obviously sounds that
1: way, because I think, I think when you're so. thinking about it, look, and and is I didn't realize Collins had an extra year left on his deal, but I knew with Rankins that When you think about what was the difference, obviously D'Amico plays a difference in the way that the scheme is called on on defense when he takes over. But the fact that when they brought Rankins in, I thought that was a great pickup. That's a savvy pickup on a guy that's not a fighting Rex Burkhead that's fighting to try and say, you know, send a message to the rest of the league. I can play and I'm looking for a better deal. And I thought he played well enough to get just that, whether it be from the Texans or somebody else. But I thought he was the big reason why their run defense was better than it was the last two to three years.
2: Yes, Rankin... Collins has a cap hit of nearly 13.5 next year, and you lose money if you cut him pre-June. Now, if you cut him post-June, it saves you $2.5 million, but is that worth it? Because, like, he is a starting caliber He, he could at least tackle. be depth on this team. Yeah, like, I, I think... I think that they're probably going to bring in a defensive tackle, and it's Malik Collins in the defensive tackle that they bring in. That would be my guess. Because to me, you're not cutting Malik Collins post-June 1st to save $2.5 million only to have to go find another defensive tackle that's going to cost you. So I think Collins is also fixed. I think D'Amico's fixed. I think uh, Malik Collins is fixed. Will Anderson's obviously fixed. Uh, Grenard, conversation. But I, I think there's going to be another defensive tackle that's starting next to Malik Collins next year based on what D'Amico is telling us.
4: Yeah, because but- look, we, we all think the Texans were a great run defense and then by the numbers they were. But we'll, what we don't see is what D'Amico sees when he watches the film as to why. They stopped the run. We well, obviously we saw that Will Anderson Jr. and Jonathan Grenard, for whatever this means, their rush stop win rates were really high. Maybe D'Amico's looking at the film and putting the the, the success of the run defense on the edge rushers and the in the uh, linebackers and has some concerns about those interior front, especially you know Sheldon Rankins getting up there in age.
2: Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. Are we reading too much into these D'Amico, Ryan's thoughts, Nick Casario thoughts, have to improve uh, the trenches on on both sides of the ball? We we talked about the defensive side and how do you improve there. I think it's personnel. I think that's the only way that you're going to improve it if we believe what D'Amico Ryan's is saying what about the offensive side? How how do you improve that run attack on the offensive side? Because I'm seeing a lot of conversation. Well, you can't add to this offensive line. You're you're pot committed to this offensive line. I disagree, but how do you improve that side of the ball when it comes to running? 713-780-ESPN. Busy show. Uh, Since Joe's not here, Brian McDonald make weird faces on a why the face Wednesday. It is mock draft season after all. We all love a little bit of mock draft season. It's what everybody told us. Uh, Houston Astros too. The Astros of in an, an interesting situation after uh, after their owner. Um, Crane showed you that he's willing to spend money, but is it a dangerous precedence that Jim Crane is willing to spend this money to go over the luxury tax. 713, also have a giveaway. We're giving away concert tickets at some point today, so you're going to have to listen throughout the show. We're not going to tell you what we're giving away. You've got to listen throughout. 713-780-3776, the HRP listener line. We're on the Twitch, twitchtv slash ESPN 97.5. We're on uh, YouTube. Just search ESPN 97.5 Houston, or just ESPN Houston. We'll get the trick done. He's at Pac-Man Joel on Twitter. Brian in for Joe George is at sacked by BMAC on Twitter. I'm at Jeremy Branham. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5.
0: ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. All your base are belong to us.
3: All your base are belong to us.
0: (laughs) Razor blunt commentary delivered with a special purpose. What's happening to my special purpose? It's the Killer Bees live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5.
2: He's blank on Branham. 6 0, 4 Good run defense. Three question marks. Did you watch the Ravens game? Two question marks.
1: Yeah, the freaking Baltimore Ravens. They got a quarterback that rushes for 100 yards. No matter who they put at running back, gashes everybody. Yeah, that. Yeah, it's easy to say that, but overall, I can t- counter that by saying, was their run defense overall way better than it was the last two to three years? Okay, then.
2: Yeah. I mean, overall, the, the numbers would support that they were much improved. Uh, they got gashed in three games specifically. Uh, the Ravens and, and the Colts. Movies. And yep. the Colts both times. Uh, 2022, do you think there is any way that the Texans could employ a defensive line like the Eagles? They're technically six starters, but they rotate them constantly. Um it would be expensive. It'd be expensive unless you're drafting a couple of guys who are capable starters. Uh, but that's difficult to do. Like, you're not going to sign two starters. It's no.
1: not. And, and, you know, obviously, ideally, everybody would love to do that. Keep everybody fresh. Keep the attack, just the attack, attack, attack. But if you want guys that are, you know, above average, that are able to do what you need them to do while they're in there, too... To Jeremy's point, you're going to spend a whole hell of a lot of that money that you've got sitting there for free agents and resigning your own. This,
2: uh, a few textures. We were talking about that uh, weird inflatable thing. Apparently, it's called a wacky waving inflatable arm tube, man. Brian's nodding his head yes. I don't know if, to, if I should be impressed or bothered. Is that from something? Yeah, there's a family, family guy, guy bit yeah. with that. Okay. Yeah. His family guy. <laughs> That's a great way to describe it. A wacky, waving, inflatable arm tube man. Although least you should probably call him a person, not a man. It is 2024. Mm, uh, 713-780-ESPN. So how do you improve the run attack? D'Amico's saying that they're going to have to improve both sides of the ball when it comes to stopping the run, when it comes to moving the ball on the ground, which I agree with. Like, you can't have your entire offense being dependent on C.J. Stroud, uh, especially with trying to run the San Francisco, West Coast, Shanahan thing. They want to build off of like play action. So the other team has to respect the run. And quite frankly, the teams that the Texans were playing didn't respect the run. Even games when Singletary went off, well, there was a reason he went off, because they didn't respect the run. They were giving that part of the game up. They were allowing a few yards for Singletary here and there. Now, Singletary was a huge improvement over Damian Pierce. There's no argument there at all. So what is the plan? And I've also heard this this narrative. Well, the Texans are pot committed to, you know, they can't add to this offensive line because they've spent on Laramie Tunsil. I can say his name now that the season's over. They spent on Titus Howard. They traded and re-signed Shaq Mason. Uh, they drafted Juice Scruggs. They, they drafted Kenyon Green. They drafted Jared Patterson, six-rounder. So what is the plan to improve the running attack?
1: Well, I mean, you nothing says that you can't use another draft pick to get another offensive lineman if you feel it's an upgrade. Um, you know, obviously, the, the the ideal situation would be Kenyon Green comes back from injury and he gets he gets stronger <clears throat> and tightens up and becomes a pass blocker, and then suddenly he's in the mix, regardless of how he, he 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 factors in starter, you know, depth, whatever. But he could be a big part of this. You've got a guy with the versatility of of juice, so that helps you a lot. And conceivably, if you get healthier, just getting Howard back and putting him at the on the right side. Should make that line better as well from the revolving door of guys that you used at, at right tackle last year. So there's ways to get better. I don't think they're going to spend money in free agency to do it. I think they've invested enough financially on that offensive line, but I could see them using another draft pick. See, is it <laughs> is it crazy to say
2: that Kenyon Green is your best chance to improve this run game?
1: Is it crazy?
4: Because, that, I feel like that's kind of crazy. Too,
2: it feels crazy to say. Like it felt crazy whenever the words were leaving my mouth because he, he was. I mean, he's been two years in. He's two years in. He's a bust. Two years in. He's a bust. Yep. In, he's a bust. Yep. Watching the Ravens Texans game the other day, I'm sitting We drafted Kenyon Green over Kyle Hamilton. Man, it felt gross. It felt nasty watching that. Uh, certainly one that you would like to have back. But Kenyon Kenyon Green's strength is his ability to block against the run. Mm-hmm. Not a great pass blocker, and like the injury concerns, like. He wasn't very good as a rookie. I mean, a rookie, whatever. Like, some guys aren't good their rookie year. that turn out to be just fine. The injury concerns on top of a disappointing rookie season, it seems very far-fetched to expect Kenyon Green to be a starter uh, for the Houston Texans. But if he can get close to his potential, if he can get in shape, if he can get healthy, which, I mean, these are massive ifs Mm -hmm. and a long shot on both of those ifs, I think he helps the run game a little bit.
1: Well, no doubt. That's what I was thinking, too. The one thing that we knew he struggled mightily was, was pass blocking. But if D'Amico hell-bent and adamant about the fact that they need to get better run blocking, he had some success run blocking his first year you know when he was still getting his feet wet and learning the ropes and understanding what he needed to understand now second year no one could have predicted obviously because they were keeping it under wraps that he was actually more dinged up than the 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 injury he was getting over and the shoulder gave out and then the season was over and all was lost so there's no doubt you have to label him to this point a bust but if he can run block and he can, and he, and he, maybe he gets hyper focused. Because look, I mean, he was a great kid. We had him in the studio. I thought that you know everybody was pulling for him, the local kid, the A and M product as well. But you look at it, you go, he's a little doughy. He looks like he could tighten up. Looks like he could really kind of you know hone his craft in a little bit. Maybe there's a wake-up call in there that helps him kind of hone his skills and and he becomes a guy that you can use and and, and become someone that can help you.
4: The big big problem with kind of waiting to see if Kenyon Green can recover and be the guy that you hoped he would be with the first-round pick is by the time you find that out, it's pretty much too late to do anything about it if you're wrong. So I think, to me, I would... Probably not first round because I do, and I believe what D'Amico said about the defensive front. I think they're going to try to, especially if Byron Murphy or, or Tavondre Sweat, one of the Longhorn defensive tackles, slip. I think they, there's a high probability they take one of those guys or another defensive tackle at 23. But I don't see a problem with taking an interior offensive lineman in the second round because, worst case scenario, I mean, what do we see the Bills do and they have some success with it in that game against the Chiefs? they were running six offensive linemen out mm-hmm. there. Plus, you're going to have injuries. We saw that with the Texans mm-hmm. this year. They had injuries across the line at all times during the season. So, you take a guy, and if Kenyon Green comes back and he's good, then you got you got depth. And if not, then you've replaced him.
2: See, that's where I'm at with improving the running. Like, I- I've heard, again, the narrative that you can't add to this offensive line because you've already spent money and draft picks on it. So What? So what if the entire goal is from this point forward to make your football team better? You can't be sitting there thinking about the moves that you made in the past. And if you do, and like I don't hate the idea, to, like to Brian's point, like second rounder, that sounds fine. I don't hate the idea. If the best player available at twenty three is a guard or a center to draft that guy, I, that sounds good to me. If mm-hmm. the if the focus is to improve the run game, why wouldn't you be entertaining the idea of interior offensive linemen at twenty three if it is the best available? And I think that there are two positions to be had um, because Laramie's fixed in at left tackle, Shaq's fixed in at right guard, and I believe that Titus Howard should be fixed in at, at right tackle. So you have two positions to be won. Center and left guard. We figure that Juice Scruggs is going to win one of those positions. Right. Preferably, I want him to move to center. I think his frame is better suited for center. I think it's his best position, which means it opens up the left guard. Look, Kendra Green's not or Kenyon Green's not going anywhere. He's currently under contract and still very cheap because he's a rookie. So you have one spot there. You have Jarrett Patterson. Like look, he was a six rounder. Like you shouldn't be making plans because Jarrett Patterson had a good rookie season. Six rounder. He can he can compete for a job. He can compete with a, for a job with Green. And then the other guy is the guy that you draft. Like, four guys for those two positions isn't going to hurt you, and you're going to carry four guys from the interior offensive line, in addition with Shaq
1: Mason, let's call it five guys. So you would carry Shaq Mason, a center, a left guard, two backups. You're carrying five guys anyway. Yeah, that's fine. And I think that unlike other positions that are so hyper-important to get higher in the draft, I think the one thing that we've seen across the league, and I saw it in Green Bay a lot with Runyon and other guys – is the fact that you can go get a guy in the sixth round, a fifth round, a fourth round offensive lineman that can end up being an above average starter on your offensive line if you have the right personnel in place to be able to, you know, to, to kind of decipher all the offensive linemen dangling around the middle of the draft to find a guy that has some NFL potential and then develop that. But it's possible. But I'm with you guys. Look, I, I thought that. When you're thinking about it, and we discussed it a little bit yesterday, but the two kids from Texas make perfect sense if D'Amico yeah. feels like, hey, one of those guys could be better than what I got right now in Rankins and Collins, and there's one guy that could be a disruptive force that helps me do what I've just said I wanted to do, which is upgrade my defensive line. So those two positions alone, I throw safety in there at some point in the draft as well as something that they got to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. But I think those are primary focuses in the draft.
2: Three six six seven. Uh, that's a that's a heck of a lot of ifs talking about uh, Kenyon Green. I-, I felt like I was playing. Let it ride there. Those are facts. Uh, 3667. 3177 seven. is the running back of the future on the team. Feel good about the running back going into next season? Question mark or use the third, fourth rounder on a running back? No, the future. He's not on the team it now. Could be, it could be. Like, well, Singletary's a free agent, so he's technically not on the team. But uh, see, even if Singletary's back, like he might be your starter next year. I don't think he's the, the running back of the future. Now, running back is the other you know caveat, another wrinkle to have the, as part of the conversation of improving the running game. I think it starts with the offensive line. That's why I don't hate the idea of drafting an offense. Of lineman uh, I, I want Singletary back on this team mm-hmm. now if he's demanding crazy money see you later Devin Singletary you're Devin Singletary uh, I'm more open to the idea of drafting running backs in the middle rounds. Like I'm super jealous of Miami drafting Devon H. N. Like if you got that type of guy oh, in man. the 3rd round, like that's like he's he's a future. I'm not going to call him a star, although I think he has star potential. He's a little small and, and he had some injury concerns in his rookie year, so he's per, certainly not a perfect running back prospect, but imagine drafting that type of player in the 3rd round and what that would do for the running so back. Group. Even if he's sharing carries with Singletary, even if it's a 15-10 split or or you're 15-10 and then the rookie is catching balls out of the backfield. The other idea is veteran free agents. I don't. That's not my primary. Like Sa- Saquon isn't somebody I would get twelve million dollars to, or Derek Henry or Josh Jacobs. Now, if they did it, like I'd be a little excited. I don't think it's the best way to spend money, but I'd be a little bit of ex- excited about that. The Eckler thing that we talked about yesterday. If you can get Eckler on a value deal, that's something that that really intrigues me. Like he seems washed, but also I wonder if he was disinterested and they were lousy this year. And I saw a number today. Austin Eckler averaged more yards after the catch over any running back in the NFL oh, this yeah. year, yeah, he even was, in a down
1: he's year. He's still got this it as a receiver. Year. I just question what
4: he's going to do. Between tackles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's
1: also, he also was pretty ticked off at the way the whole situation yeah. was well, he, handled. Because he him. wanted to be
4: paid. He's, yeah. he's one of the thousand running backs that has never gotten his big payday, and he wants it. And unfortunately for him, he's aged out of that big payday.
1: That's the thing. The age and the, 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 the run on the tires that, you know – He's, he's, he's got a lot of usage in his time with the Chargers, and that's a concern that everybody has to have. How much does he have left in the tank as much as he wants the payday? No, think, Again, we talk yeah, about return on investment, and that's going to be a big deal no matter who you bring in because I think that what, what makes it so exciting when you look at some of the backs you could find in the draft, like in A-chain or you know, when you look at Miami, it's the Shanahan system, right? But they have Mostert, who was the kind of dynamic back until he got a little older, that A-Chain is now currently, and Wilson's the same kind of running back, and that's kind of singletary, he's a little smaller. But you need a guy like that, a dynamic, speed, quick, you know, that can juke kind of guy that can really make this this motor run faster with, with the offense.
4: Yeah, you just worry if, if Eckler really only has, you know, tread left on the tires as a receiver and not a runner, then anytime you put him out on the field, the defense knows – He's not running the ball. If he's going to be involved in this play, it's going to be through the passing game.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're not going to completely shut it down, but you have a pretty good idea of the tendencies. But right. I don't, I don't hate a running back. If you can get Eckler at six, seven million, Singletary between three to five million, a little Eckler Singletary rookie running back in the fourth round, and then Damian Pierce, I guess, would be your fourth running back. Yeah, I get behind form. that. Like that's, I think I'd rather go that route than let Singletary walk, sign Saquon, it's Saquon Barkley and like a fourth or fifth round running back. Okay. Mm. I lean the first round. I think.
1: Yeah, I did. I, I think
2: I lean mm-hmm. option A. Seven uh, one three seven eight zero ESPN H R P listener line seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Which way do you lean? Uh, what are the biggest off season questions that you have for the Texans? What are our biggest questions entering the off season as well? Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN the H R P listener line. Killer Beast on ESPN ninety seven five ESPN ninety
1: two five. Hey guys, a moment for all state siding and windows. Look, I just got new windows put at my put in my house. It has made a massive difference first and foremost the appearance on the outside of the house upgrades the overall value of your house the minute you roll by and then next to that the biggest thing that's the most important thing is your house is probably the biggest investment you have and the fact that you can install quality windows that are going to be energy efficient and save you up to 40 percent on your monthly energy bills make it even better and more of of a plus for you when you make that kind of an investment and see that kind of return and the people at Allstate Siding and Windows are the best in the business, Mary and Mike family owned and operated for almost 50 years and they have supported Houston sports and ESPN, but they support the people of Houston. All they want you to do is call them to see how they can help you and they can fill you in on all the different ways that they have special financing, uh, financing options, options, 12 month with no interest, eight months, same as cash, $150 off on Windows with a minimum of 10. I'm telling you this because I'm telling you they're the best in the business business and they care about you guys as Houstonians all you got to do is call them and see what they can do they'll come to your house and tell you how they can help and you can weigh your options 832-204-1936 that's 832-204-1936 or call them if you want or hit them up on the website allstate siding and
0: espn 97.5 and 92.5 i'm an idea man chuck what if you mix
4: mayonnaise right in the can with the tuna
2: fish hold it take live tuna fish And feed them mayonnaise.
0: Welcome back, Houston. It's the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5.
2: He's blank. I'm Branham. What are your biggest offseason questions for the Texans? We get ours as well. 713 780 ESPN HRMP listener line 713 780 3776. 3300 says Jonathan Brooks from uh, Texas, the running back there. I like his game a lot. Uh,
4: I also think that he could slide in the draft
2: because he's coming off of an injury. Like yeah, hey, I think
4: you could wait till yeah fourth, fifth round, probably.
2: And I'm, I'd even be okay. Like, I don't think this is the case, but let's just throw it out there. If you could get him in the fifth round because he slides because he's hurt, but he misses the first four weeks of the season,
4: that's all right. I'm okay I with that. I would even be fine with that in the fourth round. Yeah. Like I think I, the third round is where I cut off, like, waiting for a guy half a season. But fourth round, sure. I'm, I'm with you. I like and, the idea And it's of that. perfect
1: because the recipe for success with NFL teams a lot is, yeah, third, too. But, I mean, you can get f- – Fourth round, fifth round running backs, and you can get them to be better than serviceable for multiple years, and that's a huge help to you, not only on the field but financially with your cap.
2: Three seven eight zero. Uh, where did the Chiefs get Pacheco? What round? I want to say it was he it was, was the sixth.
4: seventh round. So
2: was it seventh? seventh? Okay, I thought yeah. it was six. But then you look at a guy like Kyron Williams, who's in his second year, not his rookie season. He was a sixth rounder as well. 6 rounder, yeah. So you can. I mean,
1: Aaron it. Jones was a fourth, oh, fourth round yeah he was fourth and then williams who ended up with the uh, lions I believe he was eventually he was no he was a fifth round. he's a fifth round fourth okay. and fifth they got him in the middle of the
2: draft you can find some value there and cassara's been pretty good about drafting running backs I mean, pierce was fine until he got into the exactly. wrong exactly and he
4: was a fourth round pick that for a season he would have had a thousand yards had he not missed like what was it, the last five games of the season yeah he
2: just doesn't fit the scheme i mean it is what it is and like people are saying well can he bounce back i i don't think so i just think he's a round peg into a square hole yeah. known as what is the now the houston texans
1: <laughs> offense. Yeah, he can bounce back with another team yeah, i I think that so. runs it a different way. I mean, that's to, to the texture's point about what what the Texans, you know, were gashed by the Ravens. But we talked about it with Cadre Ismail. The fact is the Ravens offensive line and their system is conducive to just about anybody that can carry a loaf of bread carrying the football and getting yards.
2: Yeah, I have seen some people like NFL.com had a had a story where Demico Ryan said like uh we'll see on Damian Pierce. I think they're kind of taking him out of context from his press conference the other day. Like I don't see Damian Pierce being cut no. because he's still cheap. Now, If you could get a fifth or sixth rounder for him, I think that's something they might entertain.
1: Well, and I think that ideally, of course, he and his agent would love to see him get traded so that he could have the opportunity to play in a system that, you know, utilizes his strengths. But the right deal has to be for you. Otherwise, he's very cap friendly, and we know what he can do on the return game. It might not be what he wants to do, but it might be perfect for the team unless you can find someone that's willing to be a good trade partner. Like
2: 12 months ago, if you said Damian Pierce for fifth rounder, people would throw rotten tomatoes at you? They would. I would trade him for a fifth rounder right now.
1: Would yeah, you trade I mean, Pierce for a fifth-rounder? Yeah, I mean, if he's not going to be used here and you think the fifth-rounder can get you someone that's going to be, you know, at least play a role on your roster and not going to be a throwaway pick like some of the Casario moves of the past, which I think hopefully we're done with, then, yeah, I mean, you can find a home for him that gets you another resource and asset to use, sure.
2: Let's go out to the HRMP listener line, 713-780-ESPN, HRP listener line. What are your biggest off-season questions? 713-780-3776. Michael, you're in the hive of the bees. What's up? Yeah, hey guys. I think you know my biggest
1: uh, concern is second year drop off, especially with a coordinator change, and with it with But I'll, I'll counter my own argument with a little bit because before the Cleveland game and all the Sloic interview talk, uh, I was really worried that he'd be distracted as, and, and not put together a good game plan. And uh, one of you would kind of agree with me, and one of you didn't. And it turned out he had an awesome game plan for uh, the Cleveland game. But I'm worried if Spoke leaves and I see what happens to Philadelphia in a second year with coordinator changes, that just worries me in a a,
3: a second year for the Texans. I'll hang up and listen. Appreciate Appreciate the call.
1: Yeah, look, I I think that first and foremost when you talk about what we were talking about later late in the show yesterday was the fact that it's just from a continuity standpoint, it's in the best interest of your quarterback and your offense. If you can just keep rolling and and not change anything, but we know it's the NFL. We know promotions happen. We know people notice when you have success, but to your point as well, uh, the one thing that has to we have to be very cognizant of is that you don't have a cupcake for a schedule next year. You got a first place schedule, and so you're playing a lot of the best of the best, and so you're going to have to up your game. And that's why we're talking about you know where they have to improve and, and areas that they have to focus on because you're not going to be playing you know. The, Cakewalk schedule and playing Carolina, even though you lost, and Atlanta, even though you lost, and, and some games that you're supposed to win, you're going to be playing the Chiefs and you're going to be playing the Dolphins and you're going to be playing, you know, a lot of big time teams that you're going to have to be ready for and take it up a notch. And therefore, that's why you have to make improvements. You can't just rest on what you've done. And obviously, keeping Bobby Slowick in tow would help.
2: Yeah. the um, I have it at 40% that Sloak leaves. I think it's a valid concern, Michael, because it's the like, I. I'm not too concerned because it's Shroud, but I do think it's a valid concern because you fear the unknown. Like, mm-hmm. you don't know what it's going to look like. And he put out a great example uh, with Philadelphia in. I I just I never believed in Brian Johnson. Uh, sorry, you know, look up his resume. I, I can tell you why. Um, and he got fired after one year. It's interesting because he was interviewing for head coaching jobs, and then he, he got he got got he got fired. So there's the fear of unknown when it comes to having a new offensive coordinator with a second year quarterback. That's why I, if he does leave, I, I need somebody from the same scheme that understands the same language that, that's doing the same stuff that Slowik is. Maybe it's Gerard Johnson. I don't know. I don't know how far advanced Gerard. Is after one season with Bobby Slowick and, and new to the scheme, uh, he's another guy who's drawing interest from other teams. He interviewed with Philadelphia for their open OC job. I've read that he's the favorite in Cleveland. The Saints were another spot uh, where he interviewed I heard for the Cleveland in New Orleans
1: for sure. Yeah, like uh, you know, I've have thrown this out to you previously, but I think that if you can get him away, if if uh, on the if scenario that Slowick leaves. Frank Smith is a guy that I would be heavily looking into if, if you want to stay within the Shanahan system. He's the OC in Miami, and he doesn't call plays. Yeah. You can say you call plays, and you even mentioned the best way to get him is make him the associate head coach, just so that it is a, a legit promotion, so that you can get him away. But he's a guy that knows the system. He knows the Shanahan part of it. He's gotten uh, some, you know, good experience with McDan- uh, Mike McDaniel, and now he comes here and, and he just picks up where Bobby Slowick left leaves off. He gets his first chance to call plays. And he's got a hell of a lot of resources to work with, starting with C.J. Stroud.
2: No, I uh, I, I love the idea. You make the call. I I don't know his, his how much he would entertain it. Although he'd be, I mean, you have to be intrigued, right? Like that's yeah. the whole purpose is to call plays, and if you're calling plays, you got a better chance to be the head coach. So I certainly would make that call. Now Miami might push back, say, "Well, it's a lateral position. Technically, I guess it would be a lateral position. Do they allow him to interview? I don't know." Uh he would be on that short list. I think I think Gerard would have a real chance. Kubiak I think would have a real chance. But I think there's a better than fifty percent chance Lowick stays now because of the Tennessee job.
1: I, yeah, I, I dropped it. Once Tennessee was filled, I dropped it to thirty percent and, and I think it's gonna go lower than that. And when we talked about the jobs that are still out there, the only one that I can't unequivocally see there's a front runner for that isn't Bobby Sloic is Carolina. That scares me. But there's a lot of pitfalls if you're taking that job that you've got to have guarantees for. Mm-hmm. So the situation, yeah, money-wise is probably better, but longevity and survival rate might be a lot worse.
2: Yeah. Uh, see, I have them second in two different spots. I have him second in Carolina. I have him second in Washington. He's option B in both spots. If option A says I'm good, then maybe Slowick has to make a decision. Do I stay with Stroud and the Texans for one more year, or do I take Carolina? Do I take Washington? And we don't know what Slowick's thinking. Uh, that's the first question I have. What are, what are our biggest questions for the Texans offseason? 713 780 3776. The first one I want to kick around who is more likely to leave? Bobby Slowick? or Gerard Johnson. We'll discuss it on the other side, get to your biggest questions for the offseason as well. It's Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN at 92.5. There is no question what the best basketball goal on the market is. It's a goal from Pro Dunk. It's unlike anything you'll find in the big box stores. Uh, you live in a neighborhood, you see those cheap basketball goals all the time. The rim's busted, it's broken, the net's yanked out. Sometimes the backboard's broken. Sometimes they're laying on their belly. Yeah, it's awful. It's terrible for the neighbors too. Make sure you get a Good basketball goal, and the best way to lock that in and guarantee that is a goal from Pro Dunk. They make the highest quality that you'll find. A tempered glass backboard gives you that true, authentic feel that you see in arenas. It's got stainless steel hardware; it's rust proof, which is critical in Houston, of course. Breakaway rim, which is important because you can lower the goal all the way down to five feet, all the way up to ten feet, anything in between, because it's height adjustable. And with their new Gore, with their new goal Thor, they have a lightning adjust feature, which you can raise the goal anywhere from five to ten feet in ten. Seconds with the use of a drill. How easy is that? It's fun to do. It's idiot proof for guys like me. It is fantastic. Raise and lower those goals with lightning adjust from four in 10 seconds. Their accessories, next level two LED light kits for night play. You have work. I understand that. You're not like the Twitchers. You have a job. Uh, You have kids. They have to go to school. Only chance you have to play is when the sun goes down. Well, get these LED light kits and you can play when the sun goes down. Backstop nets, pull pad lettering, lots, lots more. You can also order installation online. That's great for guys like you and me. We're not great with ladders. We're not great with levels. Let the pros at ProDunk do all of the work for you. Install your goal at the perfect height perfectly straight you'll never have to worry about it at all you don't install Let the pros at produnk do all the work for you give them a call now 281-351-9822 281-351-9822 and visit produnk.com that's
0: produnk.com espn 97.5 and 92.5 at work in the gym and in the bedroom
4: i've seen the huge difference it's made for you in the
0: gym at work and in the bedroom Welcome back, Houston. These guys missed you over the last break. It's the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5.
2: He's Blank on Branham. What are the uh, biggest question marks you have for the Houston Texans entering the offseason? 713-780-ESPN. My my question is kind of pertinent with the news of the last couple of days. Who is more likely to leave? Offensive coordinator Bobby Slowick or quarterback coach Gerard Johnson.
1: I think it's Slowick. I think that people are going to give Gerard Johnson interviews. People are going to be interested in the intel. I think it's good for both parties. I think it's good for him to interview uh, and and get you know accustomed to the process. But I think that Slow, Slowik's the guy, to me, that is the hot name because of what just happened this last season and knowing what you know. I mean, obviously, the hope is that Gerard can do what Bobby did here, but Bobby's already been there, done that, and did it to a level to where he's getting head coaching opportunities. I, I think you're right. The Washington thing is he's kind of the poor man's Ben Johnson just because he's a year behind him. But I think those two guys are going to be hot in Washington. I think he's he might be the front runner in Carolina, though I, I'm not sure, but... I think that he has a better chance to leave than Gerard. Gerard's just getting his career started, to kind of on the ascending, uh, to get to be an OC, and then eventually, hopefully for him, a head coach.
2: See, I think it's I think it's opposite. I think there's a better chance for Gerard to leave than Solaik. So Solaik, I have it forty percent. I, I think Gerard, I have it like sixty percent because I I think he's going to have offers to be the offensive coordinator. So hmm. it's do I take an offensive coordinator position at Cleveland or New Orleans, or do I stick around? I'm the quarterback coach at Houston. Now I can see a compelling case where you stick around. Like what's his ultimate goal is it to be a head coach okay if it's to be a head coach is it better to ride the you know hit your wagon to CJ Stroud maybe you have to wait another year before you get play calling although it's no guarantee you become the offensive coordinator or is it better to say okay let me go call plays in New Orleans try to put my you know name on the map that way or he interviewed in Philadelphia can he can he go resurrect Jalen Hurts because if he does that Like, Brian Johnson was getting interview requests to be a head coach, and he got fired as the Philadelphia Eagle offensive coordinator. If Gerard can go into Philadelphia, and all of a sudden that Eagle offense is the Eagle offense from a year ago, he's going to get head coaching offers next season. So I can see a case either way. Because I don't think Slowick leaves, I think Gerard's going to entertain the idea of being a coordinator somewhere this year.
1: Yeah, and I think it's interesting because of the fact that it depends on the situation you're in. I think it's a tough situation for him to go into Philadelphia, where I think that, quite honestly, I think they're going to go with a veteran offensive coordinator uh, that's very run-dominant, obviously because of the the fact that that worked the best when you had Steich in there. But I think that overall... There's opportunities for him, but it's like, and also, what does he have to work with? Because you're right, if he stays under the Shanahan tree, he's never called plays before. But there's going to be an opportunity for him coming, and whether it's next, this coming year or in the next two years, I think he'll still get that, but he'll get that with better resource sources to work with, and that'll be beneficial for him and for the team. I, I just, I, I guess we, you know, I, I don't see it as being the the, the situation where a team that, especially teams like Cleveland and or New Orleans, now he goes to Cleveland is still calling plays, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Uh he is. So you know, know, you go,
1: yeah, you go, and you can be the coordinator, and then you can learn from another really good play caller. But you kind of separate yourself from the Shanahan tree. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he chooses to do. Unless he gives up play calling, which I don't expect I don't him to do. do. I don't think. He's going I don't to do expect
2: that. him to do that now. I mean, he'd kind of be doing the same thing in Cleveland, except he would have the promotion and he would have the title. So does that get him closer to being a head coach? You can make the case that it does. You can make the case that it doesn't. What's your biggest offseason question for the Texans?
1: Well, I mean, obviously listening to what D- D'Amico said, that it's going to be how do you create more balance and how do you create more of a reliable run game? I think that's the, the biggest thing that I'd like to see. Um, I, I fully believe that they are going to invest the majority of their, their draft picks Um, on the defensive side of the football, but maybe they won't. Maybe they're going to go to the offensive side of the football and then they're going to spend a majority of their free agent money and let D'Amico do what he also wants to do, which is enhance his defensive line. And it's going to cost you a pretty penny if that's the way you want to do spending money on defense. We've seen some of the bigger name pass rushers if you choose to let Grenard go as well. So I I just think for the benefit of CJ and what's already working really well, a more consistent running game is going to be the key to me. I don't think it's going to be as much on the offensive line except for in the draft. Maybe they will take a, a, a one lineman in the draft, but I think that they're going to focus on the running backs and they're going to try and get that running back room better.
2: Two nine zero six. What defensive tackles would you be interested in draft free agency? You pulled up that defensive tackle list a little earlier. I can't say that Baltimore defensive tackle's name from Texas, but he's he's somebody that's really good. Baltimore's in a little bit of a cap situation, but they can I think they can clear out the space to potentially tag him or lock him up. So I would be a little surprised if he ever enters free agency. The uh, Texas also has uh, Sweat's the better one, but I also am Murphy. intrigued by uh, I think it's Coburn that's there as well from Texas. So like those are a couple of defensive tackle prospects that I like. Murphy, yeah, yeah, I might actually should be confusing so one of those with the, Murphy.
1: The pro football focus has uh, Chris Jones. Kansas City is the number one interior defensive lineman. I think you and I both think he's more of a pass rusher. Um, but Metabuke from Baltimore. Yeah, he's that the you one mentioned. I was thinking of. Yep, Christian Wilkins from Miami, uh, who is ranked the seventh most attractive free agent on the market. Um, the one that I like, I like Leonard Williams from Seattle, but they traded for him. So I'm I'm sure they're going to really try to retain him. But I think Leonard Williams could be very disruptive. A guy you know very well from the past, would he come back again and would you want him back? DJ Reader. And he's been very good for Cincinnati. Uh, and, and then you get on the list. Ironically, number seven is Sheldon Rankin. And number eight is Tier Tart, who you brought in late in the season from Tennessee. So you got two guys on your roster. And D'Amico don't, obviously doesn't think they're yeah. good enough.
2: It doesn't seem like there's really room for improvement in free agency.
1: Like, I, I, it, I don't think so. Uh, maybe the draft, but not free agency. I
2: mean, it, other than like the top two names on that list, it's like, where's the drop-off there? between, Or where's the improvement there between that guy and... And Sheldon Rankins, like I don't know if it really exists. So maybe it's they go younger there. Maybe it's they draft the guy there at number twenty three. Maybe that's the clue. Now, super early to be looking at that seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. Another one that I have is Nico Collins, a true
1: number one receiver. Mm. Well, I mean, some would say Tank Dell is. So you have to kind of understand that. As long, the good thing is you have two guys that are in the running to be the guy. But even if they're not, they're both some of the better receivers in the NFL. I, I don't know in this system that you have a true wide receiver one like you do in Miami, like you do in a certain in a lot of situations. And it's tough to say that in Miami when you got waddled next to Tyree Kill, but Tyree Kill is just so dynamic. Um, I don't think that Nico Collins is a true one, and I don't think that – I think Tank Dell could be, but I don't think either one is there yet. But I think because you have both those guys in the room and on your team – you don't have to have a. De- you don't have as much desire to get a true wide receiver. One you can just get another good receiver on this football team, and you're way better.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I don't necessarily know why you need a true number one receiver. Like I, I know that some teams in the NFL, like you have your Justin Jeffersons, you have your Jamar Chases. Uh, Kansas City had Tyreek Hill, although the Kansas City won a championship last year without Tyreek Hill. I don't think that you need a clear-cut number one receiver whenever you have a really good quarterback. I think a clear-cut number one receiver is more important when you have second, third, fourth-tier QBs like Miami with Tua, and that's why they brought in a Tyreek Hill, like the Raiders when they had Carr and they brought in a Devontae Adams. I think that you just put a lot of talented receivers around the really good quarterback, and then you have plenty of options, especially a quarterback that can go through progressions because now you're throwing to the open man. I think that's why Nico and Tank
1: worked so well together. And we saw, like, Nicole Hardman, the first go-round. I mean, Mahomes made him look like he, he should be a, a, you know, a star in this league because mm-hmm. he makes everybody better like CJ does. But you look at it, and to answer your question too, I think, because we know it's such a pass-happy NFL that we know that the focus of the last couple years is you gotta have a big-time, big-time wide receiver. And Devontae got paid. Tyreek got paid. Everybody wants to get paid. But The quarterback matters. The system matters a lot, too. And this system is really good at kind of sharing the wealth and spreading the ball around. And then when you look at it, the most dynamic of wide receivers, they need the ball all the time. Look at how many times Diggs and Josh Allen get into it, guys like that. You're not going to have that problem here, but you're probably not going to have a true dominant wide receiver one.
2: See, I think Nico can be your, your your number one receiver, and I think this is a very like relative term, and I think it's a question that has nuance. Like, oh, is he a number one? Well, he put up number one production. Like, he had 80 catches, nearly 1,300 yards, and eight touchdowns. So his production was number one receiver. Do I think he's as talented as the top 30 receivers in the NFL? No probably not. Like He's not anywhere near Justin Jefferson. He's nowhere near Jamar Chase. He's nowhere near Tyreek Hill or Devontae Adams or Amon Ross St. Brown. Like You can go down the list where Nico's probably not as talented as those guys. Uh, he's, I don't think he's a top 25 talented receiver. Now, is his production in the top 25? Yes, it absolutely yeah. is. So that's why it's a nuanced conversation. I, if you have Nico and you have Tank, like you can round out your top three receivers with a lot of different options, whether you find somebody in the draft uh whether like i saw a receiver like free agent list today and it's like it listed the top 10 free agents seven of those 10 guys if that's the third receiver you're placing with nico and tank i'm gonna be excited for that so i don't think that you need a clear cut one for cj stroud i think it's a nuanced question i wouldn't say that nico has the talent of like what we think of as number one receivers but his production fits the bill
1: for sure and i think the other thing that we got to factor in here too when you think about the fact that Nico is like John Grenard in some ways, but he's not going to be a free agent, thankfully, because Nico is this is the Nico we've will been be ex- in a year, though. Yeah, I was going to say we've been expecting this since they drafted him mm-hmm. and what Nick thought of him. But this is the first year we've truly seen that. Was that more CJ or was that Nico or can it be both? Good thing you have another year coming up so that you can get a little bit of a clear, more clarity on that situation. Tank's coming off an of injury, but we saw enough of Tank to realize how dynamic he can be in this offense. So, therefore, you don't have to answer the tough questions when it comes to finances and commitment for long-term because of where those guys are contractually. But there is more to see from both guys before you're convinced this is a long-term plan for both guys to be those type of players that where you don't need a wide receiver one.
2: It is nice. You'll get another year of information there. 713 780 And This guy says, what about Devondre Sweat from the Longhorns? That's who I was thinking of. Coburn's already in the league. Sweat is who I was thinking of. I like Sweat's game, too. Uh, 8693, I'd rather elite tight end. Great red zone option with Stroud's accuracy. Sign me up. That would be fun, too, because now you have Tank, Nico, elite tight end. Because I wouldn't call Schultz an elite tight end. I think he's solid, yeah. uh, not elite. Now, the question that I would have, where in the world are you getting an elite say, tight who's end? Out
1: there, I'm a, I, I I was looking at D lyman but let me see who's out there in terms of free agent tight ends. I think you have a lot of Dalton Schultz clones. Yeah. I know what's his name, Ingram in in uh, L A Chargers. He, he he wasn't great. He was okay, but he I don't I think Herbert would like to upgrade the the tight end position from from the Chargers.
2: I think the only way that you're getting an elite tight end is if you're severely overspending in the draft and you trade up for a Brock Bowers. Now, I have seen some uh, discord about a guy named Noah Fant. You've heard of Noah Fant, of course. Mm -hmm. He started in Denver, was traded to Seattle. Like It's one of those things, has he played to his potential? Like He was a former first-rounder, hasn't had great quarterback play. Is he a guy that you can get in free agency for maybe Dalton Schultz money that you think has more ceiling, has more potential? Like I I would hesitate to call him an elite tight end, but is he a guy that's playing at a five or a six but he's really the talent of a seven or
1: an eight that's something that would intrigue It's me. possible like um what's what's the the tight end that went to Jacksonville that finally found his way after getting off to a slow start too that became um what, what's the name's favorite target
2: um oh you're talking about Evan Ingram yeah Evan Ingram with the Giants yeah, Evan
1: Ingram okay you're gonna laugh at this but I looked up pro football Focus's uh top top rated tight ends you know who's number one Schultz. Dalton Schultz. <laughs> number two, Hunter Henry, who I think's got a little bit. See, uh, I think Hunter Henry's like a sim- very similar player. I think you can get him cheaper. I, I think that's possible because I think he has a little less tread on the tires. He's He's been used the wrong way, but he's gotten paid the last couple of years. Noah Fant is number three. Uh, Everett is who I was thinking about with the Chargers. Not angry. Everett, yeah, uh, the tight end too. from the, the Chargers, is number four. And Adam Troutman of the Broncos mm. is number five. Austin Hooper. Is Fant not on that list? Number six. Um, Gusecki is seven, and that's it. Fant's a free agent as far as I
2: know. I'm curious why he's not there. Oh, no, I said he's number three. Oh, he is three. Okay.
1: Yeah, I'd be intrigued by Fant.
2: 713-780-ESPN. Blankers has a problem with John Heyman. It, it involves Billy Wagner. It involves the Hall of Fame voting. Why is Blankers upset with Heyman? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN
0: 92.5. ESPN 97.5.com. We keep getting away with it.
2: I want some more. Give it some more.